Uh, tonight at midnight, uh, I fly to North Carolina, and um, I'll be meeting with, at this point, I think there's 200 pastors that are gathering. And then, um, and then I got a call from a large church in Charlotte, and they want me to come and do, uh, it's, it's a very large church, and they've got um, multiple campuses, and they want me to come and teach their staff, and they say, we wanna, uh, want you to come and teach them on leadership. And I'm like, you sure? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I'll be doing that on Tuesday and then I'll catch a flight back and then I have the privilege, as soon as I land, I'm gonna head over to Oxnard and join the Brave Coalition, all these businesses that have defied uh, county orders and have remained open, I'll be speaking. So it's gonna be an exciting week and then um, Wednesday I'm gonna nap. <laughs> we were in the middle of a move, uh, we moved uh, two blocks You'd think a two-block move is easy. It's not. It's exhausting. And uh, yet I, I am so grateful. So many people showed up to help us, and we were just beyond blessed. And within moments, my wife took a house and made it a home. And it's amazing how you can be one place at one moment and then another place the next, and you just feel like you're home. And, you know, 31 years of marriage, uh, that's a tremendous gift that she possesses. And... And I, I, there was tension, uh, you know, uh, throughout the process because so many moving parts and the like, and you, you work through things and you solve problems and you try to get things worked out. And as I was reflecting on this study uh, today, I, I got a kick out of it. And I actually didn't share this first service, but you're going to have to receive it because uh, Michelle's here. And so I'm going to do that um, it's a different angle, and I'm blessed by it. Uh, and I, I tell my family, if you sit in the front row, you are going to be subject to illustration. <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm going to have some fun with it. Uh, so as Pastor Rick and the staff have put together this anchored book, which is uh, two years through the Bible, I have so enjoyed it. It's been a blessing to me. Back in March, reading through the book of Luke, and of course, Pastor Rick's been doing wonderful teachings. Um, but back in March, uh, going through... Luke 5, uh, I was moved by the leper that Jesus healed. He said, if you're willing, he says, I'm willing. And he touches him and he heals him. He says, go show yourself to the priest. And I thought, that's really cool. And then, you know, you get into April. I don't know about you guys, but I, I've taken on the task of doing the Old Testament side of the teachings. Rick, Rick is doing the New Testament. And I'm thinking there's, you know, deeper stuff um, in the Old Testament than there is no <laughs> I was kind of selfish in my desire to do that. And Rick willingly took the New Testament. And then I got to Leviticus 14. Um, um, you know, it's, it's copious verses on leprosy. You're like, oh. you know, <laughs> what is this? It's awful. It's like, Bleh. just gag a maggot. But as I was this week going through it, and especially after just a remarkable Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, and you're on cloud nine, and you're so touched, and then you open up your devotional, and you're reading about leprosy. And you just can't have a cup of coffee and read that and just be inspired. But I have to tell you something. The, the entire counsel of God's word, Old and New Testament, the best illustration of the Bible is the Bible itself. And looking at Luke, or excuse me, looking at Leviticus 14 and remembering Luke 5 back in March, it's just triggered. It's like, wow, okay, let's, let's look at this. And then my morning devotion took on a whole different meaning, and I was, I was deeply touched by it and, and unbelievably moved. 
And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach out of both passages this morning of Luke 5 and a little small portion out of Leviticus 14. And I pray that you're as ministered to as I was. I'm, you know what? More so. I want you to be doubly blessed. And so I'll do my best. So if you have a Bible, open up to Luke 5 and Leviticus 14. It goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. So it's the third book of the Old Testament. Then New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book. If you need a Bible, these folks laboring with these stacks of Bibles want you to relieve their burden. Look at them, help them. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, they'll give it to you. You can keep it, by the way, if you don't have a Bible. Tony, why didn't you bring your Bible? What's the deal? Did you sell it again on eBay? <laughs> Making a business out of it. By the way, uh, the, the depiction in Luke 5 and Leviticus 14 on leprosy, interesting Hebrew word. Uh, it's a skin ailment. We knew what it was, but it wasn't until 1873 uh, that a doctor had finally diagnosed what it was. And so today we have a new name for leprosy. We call it Hansen's disease. It actually has a, a theme song. Um, leprosy, I'm not half the man I used to be. All my limbs are falling off of me. We can laugh because nobody in the room has leprosy. It's a disease that we've somewhat eradicated in the Western world. It still exists. There used to be leper colonies in Hawaii. Uh, I think Father Damien in Louisiana. We had leper colonies around the world. Today there's probably billions of people on the planet. There's probably 10 to 12 million people that may have Hansen's disease. We fi figured medically how to eradicate it. Um, and the folks that possess it just simply don't have access to the medications. Now, here's a picture. Modern-day medicine renamed leprosy to Hansen's disease after Gerhard Heinrich Ermauer Hansen, the scientist who discovered the cause of the infection back in 1873. Thank you. I'll pump you up. All right, so uh, we're going to begin... Now, before we start, before I have you stand, I, I love the word of God because, no, 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 sit down, just sit down, relax, relax. I said before we stand. You didn't hear the before part. Sit, 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 sit. Siéntate, por favor. No habla inglés? We, we, the reason why we stand for the word of God is, is because we, we stand for the word of God, we sit for the word of the teacher. One we honor the other we tolerate, right? And what you're holding in your hand is true. And Jesus is the alpha and the omega, which is the, the idea is he's the alphabet. It's the Greek alphabet, A to Z. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the alphabet of God. Everything that God ever wanted to say to man, he said through his son. Uh, when, when you go to Russia, you speak in Russian. When you go to Germany, you speak in German. The Bible says that God has spoken to us in various ways, sundry times, through the prophets, through creation. But in these last days, he has spoken to us en uio, which means in son. So it's, it's, it's the language God speaks to man is through his son. And you go, wait, how do you speak in son? 
Well, John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt with man. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He's also the Word. His Word is true. And you don't have to believe it, but, it, but, but He believes in you. He's come to set the captives free. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. In a world that seeks to censor and propagandize, Christ wants you to know who you are in him. He wants you to know that you're created in his image. You've been created to be free. You've been created with inalienable rights. That he wants you to flourish. He's come that you might have life and life more abundant. Man seeks to enslave. God seeks to set free. And all of you, you know, and, and by the way, the freedom part requires pain. And that's why people don't want to sign up for it. The way of the cross is the Via de la Rosa, the way of pain. And pain is something Western, the Western world is fearful of. We've managed to isolate pleasure and remove pain. And as a result, whenever we have to face difficulty, we run from it. And all of you are here under the fear of pain. Citation, ridicule, eviction, loss of employment, all because you decide to go against tyranny. And the world wants you to think you're crazy. You're not. You're sane in a crazy world. Congratulations. Yeah, amen. They want to isolate you, indoctrinate you, shame you, frighten you, and enslave you. And what you hold in your hand will set you free. It comes with a battery pack, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. When you receive the Lord, he takes up residency in your life. He takes his word and he empowers your life. Your faith grows because Bible says... Uh, uh, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. And the more you read it, the stronger you become. You start to realize who you are. And the, and, and the lies, and the author of lies is dissipated. And you stand upon that and you contend and you're no longer afraid and you're empowered with love and a sound mind. You start to see things clearly and your life changes. And all of a sudden you have freedom. Liberty. God is the author of liberty. And I, and I love this because, last part, and then we'll stand. Name another disease in all the world that God would give almost three full chapters of describing in detail and then saying, if you're healed of it, I am going to assign a ritual in the temple to declare that you have been healed of it. He doesn't do it for heart disease or cancer or diabetes. He does it for leprosy. And you're like, <laughs> why? And most, most priests, matter of fact, I'm, I'm going to assume, because I haven't seen the scriptures, and this is a large assumption, but you know, I, I don't know that, that what's described in Leviticus 14 and 15 was ever done. 
prior to Luke 5. I don't think any priest ever invoked the ritual that Moses outlined for leprosy. And then we get to Luke 5, you're like, Jesus said, don't tell anyone, go to the priests and, and go for that thing that's in Leviticus. And you can imagine the priest, the guy shows up, they're like, dude, you were the one that was like, and you, I know, wow. I, I was told to come and do the ritual cleansing. Oh, where's that? It's in the Pentateuch. The first, it's in, oh, where? You know, and they have to pull out the dusty book, open it up. They have to re-educate themselves on what they're supposed to do. And it's kind of cool. So we're going to take a look at it and you'll be blessed. I, I guarantee it. So let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to begin in Luke 5, verse 12. And it happened when Jesus was in a certain city that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and he fell on his face and implored him saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him. He charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and the great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into a wilderness and prayed. I love that. It's like, you people exhaust me. I'm kidding. He wasn't like that. He was. He had to get rest. But, And then look at Leviticus 14, if you would. We'll pick up at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed to living and clean birds, cedarwood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and dip them in the living bird in the blood of the water that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy, and shall pronounce him clean. And shall let the living bird loose in the open field. He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and wash himself in water that he may be clean. After that, he shall come into the camp and shall stay outside his tent seven days. But on the seventh day, he shall shave all the hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows. All his hair he shall shave off and he shall wash his clothes and wash his body and he shall be clean. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word, which is true. I pray that you'd minister at every heart present, that they would see themselves in the passage, and they would realize that you have come to cleanse us and set us free. One would die so that we might fly. I pray that you would bless us as you have cleansed us by your blood, and you have cast our sin as far as east is from the west to be remembered no more. We are born again newborn babies. And so, Lord, please, I pray that you would minister to all and touch them deeply by your spirit. And we invite you now, Lord, through the riches of your word to do a work that no man can do. And we commit this to you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a seat.
I, I watched a video prior to uh, Good Friday, Palm Sunday, and Easter Sunday. I, I kind of get in the mood. And my wife and I sat down to watch a, almost a four-hour movie. Uh, we, I, we got through it. it. took a couple days. Uh, it, real melodramatic. It, it wasn't great. But it was true to the word of God, and I was moved by it. Um, the acting yet kind of had to work through. Just, you know, it was done in 1956. And the special effects were, you know, compared to today, kind of cheesy. Although, Parting of the Red Sea was hip. But the beginning of the movie moved me. It captivated me. And it, it just pulled me in immediately. And it started with kind of a Johnny Carson Tonight Show, Jimmy Fallon Tonight Show, you know, the curtain. And then he comes out from the curtain with a microphone. And, and he begins to speak. And I, I want to share with you from the one minute mark where he begins to talk to the audience. It's two minutes. Uh, Micah pulled it up. I just told him now. So I hope it's the right one. If it's not, I'll tell him to stop. Uh, t- take a look at the video. Ladies and gentlemen, young and old, this may seem an unusual procedure speaking to you before the picture begins, but we have an unusual subject, the story of the birth of freedom, the story of Moses. As many of you know, the Holy Bible omits some 30 years of Moses' life. From the time he was a three-month-old baby and was found in the bulrushes by by Bethia, the daughter of Pharaoh, and adopted into the court of Egypt until he learned that he was Hebrew and killed the Egyptian. To fill in those missing years, we turn to ancient historians such as Philo and Josephus. Philo wrote at the time that Jesus of Nazareth walked the earth. And Josephus wrote some 50 years later and watched the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans. These historians had access to documents long since destroyed or perhaps lost like the Dead Sea Scrolls. The theme of this picture is whether men are to be ruled by God's law or whether they are to be ruled by the whims of a dictator like Ramesses. Are men the property of the state, or are they free souls under God? This same battle continues throughout the world today. Our intention was not to create a story, but to be worthy of the divinely inspired story created 3,000 years ago, the five books of Moses. The story takes three hours and 39 minutes to unfold. There will be an intermission. Thank you for your attention. Are we to be ruled by God or Mussolini? Is man free? And is that freedom subject to what man desires or what God desires? And what truly makes men free? And it's interesting because to stand in opposition to tyranny will require conflict and pain. Pain is frightening. I like this quote. Illness is the doctor to whom we pay most heed. To kindness, to knowledge, we make promises only. Pain, we obey. 
the Western world is afraid of pain. As a matter of fact, the absence of pain, speaking metaphorically, I like this quote, we use the word dead to describe a temporary state of painlessness as when a de dentist deadens a tooth or when we leave a leg crossed so long that it goes numb. My arm's dead. <laughs> the older you get, you know what we're talking about. You fall asleep the wrong way, you're like, I can't move it. Pain supplies the compulsion to respond to warnings of danger. From pain-deprived people, this doctor says, I have learned that I cannot easily enjoy life without the protection provided by pain. This doctor's name is Dr. Brandt. He was um, an amazing physician who was raised in India in a very remote village up on a mountain that was called the Mountain of the Dead. His father was... Uh, a builder, his mother studied medicine. And the two of them, before they went on the mission field in the late 1800s, uh, went through some medical training and then went up to the Mountain of the Dead where over 20,000 people had never heard the gospel before to start a mission. No one wanted to go up there because malaria was prevalent and people would die and they'd come down with fever. And they went up there and they set up a mission and began to apply medical work and this young boy grew up with his sister witnessing the, the world of India. And he said everything in India was designed to kill you. They had vipers called 12-step viper, which if it bit you, you would take 12 steps before you'd die. You had cobras, scorpions, everything there. They would watch leeches cling to the skin. You wouldn't feel the pain because they would anesthetize the spot they'd bite. And then they would fill themselves on your blood and then exit with a clotting uh, chemical so that you wouldn't bleed and you never even knew it was there. He was fascinated. His father was fascinated. They grew. His dad died at the age of 44. His mother went on to continue the mission. She died at 94 years of age and they called her the mother of the mountain. He went on uh, 27 years in India, then spent 27 years in London, became a physician and then spent the last portion of his life, more than 27 years in America and he became a physician, a hand physician, and also worked with lepers around the world and was the foremost physician, doctor, on the understanding of leprosy, Hansen's disease. He was one that discovered that Hansen's disease, leprosy, they, they thought that it caused the skin to rot. They didn't understand how it worked. Even the song I sang, we all giggled a little bit. And even when we see Papillon in the movies, we think that leprosy causes the skin to rot and fall off, but that's not the case. Leprosy doesn't work that way. He, he came to discover that leprosy was nothing more than a destruction of the nerves. So that the person who contracted leprosy had no pain. The rotting came because they'd step on a nail and they didn't know it. They didn't feel anything. He would talk of, of witnessing one woman in a leper colony who was roasting a potato on a stick over coals, hot coals, and the potato slipped off the stick and she looked over at her husband and her husband took his hand and reached into the hot coals and pulled out the potato and put it back on and he didn't feel anything. It was just burned to a crisp. And, and what happened, the reason why they'd lose their limbs is because the only time they knew they'd had injured themselves is the smell of the rotting flesh. And then, of course, parasitic creatures that would feed upon it, gag a maggot, just, ugh, 
You would, see a, you, you would smell a leper before you'd see them coming. And they'd have to mask themselves with a muzzle. Actually, the, the, the Jewish requirement was a, the, the Levitical, or not Levitical, but the Jewish tradition is they had to stay six feet apart. Interesting. And they were put outside the camp and they were ostracized and they had no contact with humanity and, and they felt no pain. And that was what caused the destruction of their limbs because they, they did not have pain. And so he would cleanse the wound, antiseptic, remove the dead tissue. He would wrap it and be diligent and they would still rot. And they, he couldn't figure it out until he realized one day when he was so discouraged, he had managed to, to heal the man's hands but his legs were still rotting, even though every day he would dress the wound. But then he realized in his, in his depression, watching the man leave the hospital, that he was walking on the wounds. And the, and the tissue had no time to heal because it was continuing to be adversely affected through the impact of the bone on the skin. So they'd put them in casts and they would watch as the red flesh would renew itself and they realized they could heal. That it wasn't a rotting of the flesh. It was protecting it so that it didn't have the natural mechanism of protection, pain. And so they encased it and they would have great success. And then of course later they came to understand how to eradicate to the best of their ability this disease. I like this. In Italy for 30 years under their uh, Borgia, I don't know how to pronounce that. Bourgeois? Nobody does either. <laughs> Borgia. They had warfare, terror, murder, bloodshed, but they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and the Renaissance. In Switzerland, they had brotherly love, 500 years of democracy and peace, and what did they produce? The cuckoo clock. <laughs> pain, pain is necessary. And in the Western world, we've come to avoid pain at all costs. Dr. Brand said, phantom limb, or phantom, limb, phantom limb pain teaches me an unforgettable lesson about pain, he said. And that lesson is that the human body values pain supremely. I said the front row, again, my poor father-in-law last week, this week. He's a... He's very gifted at fixing things. He can do, he's an engineer. He fixes engines, everything. And he cut his fingers on a table saw. I was asked to run over, find the part to sew it back on. I didn't see anything but pieces that couldn't be sewn together. And you look at him, he's like this. And even these are a little... But he says he experiences unbelievable pain at the tip of this finger up here. Not here, but here. <laughs> like, somebody's taking psychotic drugs. <laughs> Tom, Tom, you don't have a finger here. But the body still says it hurts there. It's registered here. Pain not only is a physical, but it's a mental issue. Some people have the ability to overcome it. He, uh, Dr. Brand would talk about a young girl who had no pain sensors. And, 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 it, and the, the parents divorced because the monstrosity of this child that the world would consider, that the mother stayed with her. 
But at two years of age, they came in and found blood all over the walls. And she had painted. She couldn't feel any pain. She had chewed her fingers and started painting with them like they were crayons. Over time, her legs were amputated because of the abuse. And, and she would walk on a, on a broken limb or a sprained ankle and felt nothing. There, there, was, there was nothing saying, this isn't working. And, then they, and that's what happens in leprosy. Pain causes, the absence of pain causes a deadening. And, and the idea is pain is necessary. It's a gift from the Lord. I know that's hard to imagine. So when we look at Leviticus 14, and you see all of these pictures that the priest commands that you take uh, two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, hyssop. Hyssop, by the way, you can see in Leviticus when the angel of death passed over that they would dip it in the basin, put it on the top of the door on the side, and you see a depiction of Christ, and the angel of death would pass over because the blood of the lamb was covering. Hyssop was used to cover the blood. Hyssop was critical in this depiction of Christ. Scarlet, the scarlet thread of redemption, that it's by, you know, though our sins are as scarlet, we've been washed as white as snow. His blood was shed for the remission of our sins. You see cedar wood, which, which was impervious to rot. You put it in closets. But you see wood was, was, was present in this ritual, in these two birds, these doves. And, and they were beautiful and one would be killed, and the other would be set free. And then they would require that the man or the person be shaved completely. These items were all used in the ritual cleansing depicted that Moses was told by God to go into great lengths to describe. And the priest would go outside the camp to, 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 to do this. And you look at all this. And then you would have to not only use the hyssop and the cedar wood, and you'd have these birds, and they'd be put in an earthen vessel, like a tomb. And, and you'd have to put living water, which is the, the Hebrew word, running water. The preposition implies its action is being performed on this clay, clay pot. And, and that the, it's, it's mixed with spring water, living water. It, it literally means living water. And they would, they would pour this over the bird and they would mix it with the blood of the other bird. And they would dip the living bird that was tied to this, this hyssop branch with this scarlet thread. And then they would sprinkle the blood of the sacrificed bird, not only on the living bird, but also the leper. And they would do it seven times, which is the number of completion. And then they would let the bird that was bound, free to live. I thought this was fascinating. This ritual cleansing. Let me just show you what it looks like. The slain dove above poured into the living water, sprinkled over it into an earthen vessel. And then the live dove wrapped on the hyssop in the scarlet thread dipped seven times and then the dove was released to fly. And of course, as I said earlier, there was six feet required in distance. And this is Jesus touching the leper. Not a real picture of Jesus. They didn't have cameras back then. It's... 
The only thing worse to touch than someone with leprosy was a dead person. And Jesus, not moved by what the world thought, touched the man. God brings the dead to life. And the man said to him, Lord, if you're willing, and he started with the word Lord. He said, I recognize you're God. And the two great laws of the universe, there's a God, you're not him. And you come to God, and anyone who comes to God must first believe that he is. And he did. He said, Lord, if you're willing, and he fell down, he, he worshiped, he laid down, he, he humbled himself. He said, Lord, if you're willing, and Jesus said, I am, and he reached and he touched him. And immediately, he was healed. I love this. And I see this picture of the, the dove. The dove's in, in the hand of the Lord. It's a, this picture of peace, and you have peace with God. And then I was thinking about this one, too. You had two doves. One would be bound wrapped in the scarlet thread on the hyssop branch, and the other would be killed. Two doves. The entire ritual, the entire ritual for those doves was painful. Really painful for the one that died. I imagine even very painful for the one that lived, the memory. Pain can be in the mind as much as in the limbs. Pain can be physical, emotional. We, we process life and, and we, we spend our entire life running from pain. And, and I look at those two doves, and do you notice where I got the picture? A wedding, yeah, you see the rings? It, there's three rings in marriage. The engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffering. <laughs> we giggle because it's true. You live with someone who knows you. And you're reminded... Why are you still with me? You know who I am. In sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, for better or worse, forsaking all others. And marriage is difficult. And, and a lot of young people think, I'm going to get married because, you know, I just, uh, and you're thinking sexual. I just have to tell the young people. Sex in a marriage is a very small portion of marriage. And it requires to get to that place, you have to work through a lot of issues. Because God gave us sex as an expression of intimacy. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually, you connect. And then you have an expression God gave us. And it's pleasurable, no doubt. It's, it's, it's pleasurable. It's amazing. It's a wonderful gift God gave. The two become one. They're naked, unashamed. But... You have to get to that intimacy if it's to be expressed in the way God intended. And we've managed in the Western world to isolate pleasure and remove pain. 
I love what Dr. Brand writes. He says, from pain-deprived people, meaning lepers, I have learned that I cannot easily enjoy life without the protection provided by pain. You see, in the Western world, especially America, we eat apples, grapes, and oranges to reward our taste buds, and simultaneously we obtain the benefit of their vitamins and nutrients. Refined sugar, as such, does not exist in nature, and the mastery of how to grow and process it is concentrated form is a very recent achievement. In fact, the industrial world did not produce mass quantities until the 19th century, from which point sugar consumption increased exponentially, nearly 500% between 1860 and 1890 alone, opening a Pandora's box of medical problems. Diabetes, obesity, and many other health problems stem from the overconsumption of sugar, a consequence of our modern-day ability to reproduce a pleasurable taste for purposes unrelated to nutrition. He says, I see many examples of the same pattern. He says, society excels at the ability to isolate and repackage pleasure, thereby shortcutting natural pathways. I hardly need mention the pleasure of sex, which marketers use to sell such products as beer, motorcycles, and tobacco. I cannot see any remote connection between sex and the addiction to tobacco, and yet advertisements would lead me to believe that smoking cigarettes will magically increase my sex appeal. The true end product of cigarette smoking is damage to the heart and lungs. The true end of drinking beer is a pot belly, and the true end of sugar-coated cereal is tooth decay. That's really attractive. Hey, baby. <laughs> Why do we keep deceiving ourselves? We've isolated pleasure, and we've removed, we've, we've removed pain. And then that brings us to the understanding of Luke 5, but more importantly, Leviticus 14 and 15, why God would take copious amounts of focus on one disease that all of us today would be blessed by, thousands of years later in the reading of it. You see, we got in this mess because we're afraid of pain. We're afraid of being isolated and ostracized. We, we've, we've done everything we can to avoid pain. We run for pleasure. And, and the pain is the fear of losing the pleasure. We've even, we've even designed our government in such a capacity to be addicted to the pleasure in order to avoid the pain. It's not sin, it's a disease. It's a disease you're not giving a cure to. Addiction? Yes. Heroin addiction? Yes. What's the government's approach? Clean needles. As, as you watch these zombies in San Francisco nod, as they defecate themselves and they're emaciated and they're rotting and they smell, they have no family, they can't hold a job, and they live in a world of fantasy, and they're dying, and they have no pain. They've shut that off, and the government's provided that. They occupy us. They say they'll take care of us. You don't have to strive. Oh, don't worry about you don't work, you don't eat. We'll take care of you. The fear of pain has caused us to be enslaved, which is a greater pain in and of itself. We don't feel anything. We've been enslaved to big pharma, 
that promises us they'll take away the pain. Haven't got time for the pain, right? Maximum extra super strength. Just add more to it. We run from the pain. Psychological, physical pain. We do everything we can to run from it. I like what Dr. Brandt writes. He says, for good and for ill, the human species has among its privileges the preeminence of pain. We have the unique ability to step outside ourselves and self-reflect by reading a book about pain, for example, or by summoning up the memory of a terrifying ordeal. Pain of grief or emotional trauma have no physical stimulus, whatever. They're states of mind concocted by the alchemy of the brain. These feats of consciousness make it possible for the suffering to loiter in the mind long after the body's need for it is past. I found myself a, a few weeks, a couple weeks back, crying like a little kid. I'm 56 years old. And I found myself crying over a memory. One that I, I, I just assume forget. It's painful. One that had nothing to do with the immediate. And projecting that pain on the people present was unfair. It was, it was a, ref, a remembrance of something in the past. And yet your, your brain, just like the phantom pain, it, it still causes you to, to cower. And the enemy moves in those circles. And he frightens you with losing your pleasure. A lot of you know addiction. Some of you are in the throes of it. You know what's so hard about addiction? Is to come out of it, it's painful. You're afraid of pain. The withdrawals. You want to jump out of your skin. The depression. The, the dopamines that are affected with opioids brings this pleasure, but it steals from your future. And then whatever it does to, to manifest itself, it just takes from your future. And then you start to realize that the recovery of it leaves depression because you've taken from a bank that is depleted. And you're feeling no pain, but you're having no life. You're dead. You're rotting. You're isolated. Your family can't even communicate with you. You find that what the, the lies and the deception of the pleasure have lifted you to, to avoid the pain has only left more pain for those who love you and even for yourself. And, and you're, you're not even living anymore. You're You're dead. You have no emotion. And, and now we market it in, in, in medical terms that we can take away your depression. We can make you feel nothing. And many of the people who participate in mass shootings are, are, are on these antidepressants. They feel no pain. Thus, they, 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 they don't hurt when they invoke pain on others. It's gone. We don't talk about that. We're making money. We, 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 everyone wants to avoid the pain. We've isolated the pleasure. And what has it done to us? Paul says in Ephesians, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind having their understanding darkened 
being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness in their heart, who being past feeling, having given themselves over to the lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. We just want what we want. We've isolated the pleasure and we have removed the pain and now marriage no longer survives because it's all about pleasure and we don't want to endure the relationship of pain the third ring, of living with somebody with a sin nature and endeavoring with them in the grace and mercy and goodness of Christ. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Love as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this and to lay down his life for a friend. For a marriage to survive, somebody's got to die. Ishmael and Isaac were at odds. They, they had to bury their father Abraham and they came together at the cave of Machpelah to bury Abraham. That's all the scripture says. And these two guys were at enmity with each other. Isaac and Ishmael. They didn't talk anymore. But they had to come together. And the way that they were, these, these two warring factions that were at enmity were able to come together is that Abraham died. If you're at odds and you want to be reconciled, it's real simple. Somebody has to die. Christ died for you to reconcile you to the Father. You die that you might be reconciled to the one that you've offended. As Christ has loved you, so love one another. Lay down your life. Greater love. That's painful. No, we don't want pain. We don't want that part of Christianity. We want the forgiveness, but we don't want the reconciliation on our end. We don't want the pain that comes with reconciling a lost world to Christ that requires that we engage and say, no, you will not destroy a baby who is experiencing unbelievable pain at the hands of, of a quote-unquote surgeon who's ripping its body apart. And, and they will mock you and ridicule you and you'll face pain. But you do that, that there might be life. The Via Dolorosa, the way of pain, was done so that we could be set free. One bird flies, the other dies. Blood must be shed for the remission of sin. You give your life for the sake of the many. We're servants. You want to be great in the kingdom of God. Be a servant of all. You see in that one dove, you see in the picture of that dove, the cleansing of Christ, that blood must be shed for the remission of sin. Christ died in association with that scarlet cross and with the wood of the cedar. He was, he was crucified on a cross. He bore the marks of his death. He was put in a tomb, which would be that earthen pot. And the picture of it, you can go on and on with the symbolism. But it was his death that set us free. And we have been cleansed of all unrighteousness because God is willing. And then I share with you this other picture. The leper said to Jesus, Lord... If you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus put out his hand and he touched me. He said, I'm, will, I'm willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one and go tell the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them just out of, as Moses said in Leviticus 14. And as you see, they shave all the hair. And the, the, the picture of the shaved head and the hair is, is like with Naaman, the skin was like that of a newborn baby. You've been born again. You're a new creature in Christ. You've been born again. 
forgetting what is behind, striving for what is ahead, taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you, you're no longer afraid of pain. You're no longer alienated and ostracized. But it requires faith. And the only thing that stops faith is fear. And you know what fear is? Fear is afraid of being hurt. Pain. You're in a fallen world. There's good and there's evil. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You stand in opposition to him, you will face pain. You defy the laws of nature and nature's God, you will face pain. You can't isolate pleasure and remove pain. Because if you want that world, live in a leper colony. And you're just walking dead people who feel nothing. But anyone who's ever had a broken heart and has been in love knows that it's worth it. I, I think of 31 years of marriage, there's been hard times and broken hearts. But God has always mended by his grace. He's cleansed us of all unrighteousness. And we've always been stronger as we've turned to him. We don't avoid the pain, we engage it. We don't let the sun go down on our anger, we resolve it. And in a world that needs to be set free, someone's got to die that the other would fly. And right now, our children and our grandchildren are about to be enslaved because the world wants to isolate pleasure and remove pain. And we're willing, we're unwilling to confront those who would take our identity and put us in an island and isolate us and put us in a leper colony. And I'm not gonna have it. And as the Lord said in Leviticus 14, he laid this out as a depiction for all of us today when he pointed out in, in Luke 5, I have come to set the captives free. No man will own you. Now, to stand for that liberty, there will be contention and there will be pain. But it is worth it. Just like the way of the cross was the way of pain, it set us free. The one bird that, that flew away was the one that the priest saw. Now, I don't know this to be true, but I'm going to assume it. Nicodemus, when he came to Jesus at night, he said, how is one born again? Does he crawl back in his mother's womb? He said, no, you're born of blood and water. I can imagine Levit uh, Nicodemus reading Leviticus 14, doing the, the ritual for this man, seeing the blood in the water, seeing the dove fly. By his stripes we've been healed. By his blood we have been cleansed. Blood must be shed for the remission of sin. Nicodemus could see this. He could see the freedom to the point where he would come for Jesus in the day along with Joseph of Arimathea to take the body of the one who had been wrapped on the wood, who had been killed for the sake of the other to be set free. He saw that. And he was fearless. He no longer had to come at night. He was a follower by day. And God does that when he sets you free. He takes away your fear because you're no longer afraid of pain. And he gives you power. Because nothing on this earth you're ever afraid of anymore. Nothing. 
Pain is okay because pain tells us that we are not operating in the context of what God wants. And if we're contending with evil and evil inflicts pain, it's worth it to set the others free. So do your best. And if prison awaits us, so be it. I could give a flying flip because I am free. He died. I will fly. And that's how it works. We're going to close, and I'm going to have the worship team come up. I did this first service. It took a while, but hey, let's do it. You have some pain. You have something that you, you just need prayer for. You're struggling. You're paralyzed. Memories, whatever it is. The Bible says, call for the elders of the church, pastors, elders, anoint their head with oil. The oil is not magical. It's just a representation of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. Interesting, Holy Spirit is a representation of the dove. But you come forward, we anoint your head with oil, we pray a prayer of faith for your healing. The pastors will be up here, the elders will be up here, their wives will pray for you. We have oil up here. We don't pour it on you, we're real good about it. We won't make you look weird. But I want to tell you the one thing that's going to hinder you from coming in to seek prayer, and that's pride. And you know what pride is? A fear. A fear of pain of what others would think. Don't let them live in your head rent free. You're free. Come and be set free by the God who wants to touch you by his word, who commands that we anoint you and pray for you. We're not magical. We're not powerful. We're just obedient. And there's freedom to be found in the presence of the living God. Whatever it is, come. Jesus came that you might have life and life more abundant. And he died. And he's the one who would die that you might fly. You're a new creature in Christ. You know who you are in him. You've been created in his image. You're free. You're free. Come and be set free. And we'll pray for you. So what we're going to do is we're going to stand. That'll give people an easy way to access through the aisles. And I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. No man comes to the Father but by you. If we believe in our heart, we confess with our tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. We are saved to the glory of the Father. We have been set free. We have been cleansed of all unrighteousness. We're no longer afraid of pain. It's a gift from you. And Lord, we no longer isolate pleasure. We will address those things that enslave us. And even if it requires pain, we know that it is a gift from you to realize that it's worth contending for. You endured the cross to set us free. And there's nothing we wouldn't do for you. And so Lord, please, cleanse your children, strengthen them, and set them free from fear. Fear of pain give them power and love and a sound mind that no weapon fashioned against them will prosper and there's nothing that they need to be afraid of because if God is for them nothing can be against them. Bless them Lord. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. We'll be up here. Come. We'll pray for you.